Hey everyone, and welcome to Resetting the Table, expanding imagination around race, place, and faith for our collective liberation. I'm Celine Chuang. I'm Trixie Ling. And I'm Maria Mulder. We host this podcast from traditional, ancestral, unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territory, otherwise known as Vancouver, Canada. Acknowledging the land is one way we want to commit to decolonization and begin each episode in a good way, expressing solidarity with the Indigenous struggle for rights, reparations, and sovereignty. Today we're talking about media representation and the stories we tell through books, movies, and other forms of media. We'll especially speak to our own experience as East Asians in this relatively recent era where Asian stories and depictions are more common in mainstream Western media. Where can we see ourselves in these stories, and why do they matter? How do stories, stereotypes, narratives, and tropes impact how we see the world and further or obstruct justice and liberation? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. What should we talk about first? Maybe we can talk about what we like read or watched <laughs> as children. We were just talking about this before we recorded, and I feel like yeah. it was interesting. I was having a heyday, Googling. <laughs> Googling all of the old series that I used to read. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good way to start. <laughs> Let's uh, do that, because then we can kind of reflect on, like, what's different, like, what's more of it, what's available now that wasn't back then, or what were the characters, if there were any, that we could see ourselves in back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how this representation and stories change over time. Do you want to start, Maria? Sure. <laughs> Um, so actually, I was thinking, as I was reflecting, coming up, approaching this recording, I was trying to think of like a story where I saw myself when I was a child, and I literally couldn't think of any. Like I was, yeah, like there, like there were none. There were none that I could think of. <laughs> so that was a really interesting reflection. I read a lot of um, like animal-based fiction. So, like, The Warriors. Have you guys heard of this book? No. <laughs> it's cat clams. It's wonderful. I don't, actually don't know how they've aged, but, like, it's cats. <laughs> and you love cats, so that's that makes telling. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so a lot of animal-based things, and, um, and then a lot of, like, tragic, kind of, like, historical fiction um, that's probably terrible to reread, but I... I I ate it up. <laughs> well, what was that series called that you were telling us about before? Oh, Dear Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe just describe it for people that so, maybe don't know. <laughs> so basically each book is the diary of a Canadian girl, but like it's always in a tragic time. So there's like a tuberculosis epidemic or what else? There's like a typhus epidemic. There's a lot of epidemics or like it's World War One, or yeah, it's just like tragedy. The tragedy of being a colonial settler. <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's all like through a particular way of viewing history. Yeah, I think yeah. I haven't read them, but I remember seeing them in like scholastic yeah. catalogs, maybe mm-hmm. not totally sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely I read all the, you know, the um, Little House on the Prairie books. Oh, me too. Mm. Yeah, I read all those. I yep. was like totally into them yeah did you read any of the relative spin-offs 
So like there's there's like Laura's mother has a whole series and her grandmother has a whole series and her daughter. No, has I a did whole not series. read those. <laughs> I think I was like, yeah, they're not they're not the same. It's true. I think I remember like one thing I do. I'm like, this is kind of funny. Like looking back at these books. Um, which is not much that I remember from them. I'm sure there's a lot of um, shitty settler colonial kind of assumptions that are written into these books. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's called, it's about like homes, like prairie homesteading. Yeah. But, um, but one thing that, that stood out to me was like in the one romantic one where she's like coming of age, getting engaged. <laughs> she seems, I just remember reading the book and feeling like she really didn't care. Like she was just like, eh, <laughs> I guess this guy's okay. <laughs> and I was like, I was like what? You're not more excited? Because I was like a very romantic, like sentimental kind of like young child and like young, later young, later on young adult. But now I'm just like quite tickled to think about it. Like <laughs> it's supposed to be this romantic book about like, um, yeah, just like this, this marriage and like mm-hmm. the courtship process. But she's just like kind of like meh the whole time. Like, <laughs> that is so interesting. I don't remember that at all. I mean, this is my impression of that book, so I could be completely misremembering it, but. Yeah, but I was really into those. Um, I was too. Harry Potter books, of course, but that's probably another, a whole another podcast whole episode. episode. Oh. Um, <laughs> Anna Green Gables books, speaking of like kind of Canadiana and a particular mm-hmm. form of Canadiana. Yeah, but Trixie, what did you read or watch? Yeah, I'm trying to think. So I moved a lot growing up also. So I would say that my, the days I can remember in terms of my, my reading phase, um, I was in the States, in Texas, and then moved to Canada when I was in grade six. So I feel like the books, I think I read a lot. I don't know if you remember, but like the Sweet Valley Highs <laughs> and all the oh, drama. I didn't read them, but I know what they are. Okay, so they're <laughs> like about these like two teenagers, um, in, in high school and popular kids and all the drama that surrounds that. And there's, I think also maybe a TV show, but definitely there's a series of books and then maybe like the babysitter club. Oh, yeah. I read yeah. those. Mm-hmm. I also so read those. I feel like those are the two series that really comes into my mind, both my time in the States and time in Canada. And interestingly, as I reflect now, I think in my mind, when I read those books, they were all like white girls. There's like, one in Babysitter's Club. There's one Asian girl. I think she's an adopted. Oh, really? So see, I want to say Claudia. Yeah. Claudia? I, you know I what? Remember. The fact that it did not even strike me also says something because I think in my mind, like, again, with the Sweet Valley High, I think it's mostly like white folks that that as I'm reading these books, that that's who I imagine. Like, I don't know if I really even imagine an Asian. Even there was an Asian girl in the mm-hmm. Sweet Valley. I mean, in um, the Babysitter Club. Like, I don't even know if I could really imagine that. Which yeah. is really interesting because, and maybe because the characters, the way they like wrote them, it didn't also feel really relatable. So even if they're Asian, there was not a lot of like. Yeah, her Asianness didn't really. Yeah, it didn't really, really show up. In any way, part of the story. Yeah, exactly. It's just like part of how you describe her. Yeah, totally. Or like how she looks. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much it as far as I remember. Yeah. But all the popular kids and like, yeah. you know, and, and the girls who have adventures and all these fun are actually in my mind mostly white girls and so that's that's something I now I think back that really kind of the image that I saw wasn't me but it was all these like it, it was who I wanted to be because I'm like they're having so much fun and going on all these adventures and being all popular and um but yeah interestingly I never saw myself um, probably because like what I know was like that's not my life like you know, at home, it's all about following rules and really, really strict. <laughs> Culture is mm-hmm. not like going out, having fun. 
So just like an es- kind of a escapism. Yeah. Like why you're reading these books. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I remember when I I was um I did a lot of like doodling and like writing stories mm-hmm. like ever since I was really little. But when I was growing up, like you know the characters that I drew, mm-hmm. I always would draw girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the characters that I drew, like would always have like white features, like had light hair, had light eyes, uh, had big eyes. Um, and like with the stories I wrote, I always just like assumed. I mean, I didn't know what whiteness was. I just knew that. It was normal, yes. and mm-hmm. and yeah. like I don't think I even yeah I didn't know like what race I was at that point. I think mm-hmm. I just like placed myself in like kind of absorbed myself you know in these stories, almost like I absorbed my Asianness was like absorbed away into whiteness. I was just like, yeah. oh this is like what a normal per- this is normal. This is like the default character, main mm-hmm. character of a book, a mm-hmm. protagonist. And I didn't question that when I was young. So even like the stuff I produced like was all of like. White girls. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine was the same. I went through like a really intense fantasy fiction writing phase <laughs> when I was a preteen, and yeah, like now that I think I think back to the stuff that I created, there's like there was not a single person of color that existed inside like the world in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all default straight white folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, just when you mentioned, I feel like I also watch a lot of cartoons, you know.、Um, but even then, I don't. Even in, weirdly, in animals, I it's still if I would personify the animal, it'll still be white folks <laughs> in some way. I just would never, <laughs> which just sounds weird when I say out now, no, right but, now. But like, I don't think I'll think of like even. You what know, do you mean?、Asian. Can you talk about like a cartoon? Like, which what's a character you're thinking of? Like. Um, you mean like, like okay, like Tom and Jerry or something, you know, like kids, like、oh, you know,、okay. like I, I feel like I, I wouldn't think they're Asian characters in that way. Like if I would personify it into a person, like you know,、um, I don't know, like I would. Yeah, I'm know, trying to think、Asian. of a character. So like the animal that immediately came to mind for me was Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Oh, Franklin like, the Turtle. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 Or like, what is it, baby bear, little bear? Oh, little bear, yeah.、Oh, little yeah. bear. That is so <laughs> interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about that, Trixie. Yeah, that <laughs> just came to me. <laughs> We're all having all sorts of epiphanies here. <laughs> what does this say? <laughs> yeah, and li- I mean, there are all sorts of weird ways that like writers will project these like cultural or racial. Like unspoken things onto like animal characters.、Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much like weird gender binary stuff. If you look back、mm-hmm. at some of these, like Little Bear or even the Burn Burn. Oh, fuck, I can't remember. Just say、Bernstein. it the way everyone says it. Berenstein. <laughs> Berenstein. I'm not gonna say the other way because it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, like brother and sister,、wrong. like that, literally being their name. And like mother. Well, not just the names, but the way they're presented. Yeah. So brother does certain things, sister does certain things, mother does certain things, father does、yeah. certain things,、mm-hmm. and wears certain things. Yeah.、Um, which is like, I mean, of course, animals don't do that. That's a human thing, but. We kind of project that onto them, or like little. I feel like a lot of the stories, like Little Bear, or there's a lot of um, and maybe this is because like literature is written by in the er- in these eras, in older eras, like it was written by、um, people of like British, like they were coming from a British background, so they're like writing these very kind of、um, with ideas of like what is 
civilized and what is like proper, um, which I think you see in some of these kids' books. You gotta the start the propaganda young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then I mean the stuff we are reading about like Canada and and ideas of Canada um, are also kind of propaganda in a way. Oh, right? totally. Yeah, like what tragedies are tragedies or considered tragedies? Mm-hmm. Um, like we looked it up before this, and like more recently there was one added to this series that was yeah. like talking about the residential schools much more recently than like yeah, these other 2016. books. 2016. So like um, literally at least 15 years. Yeah. Later. And before then it just was like, oh, that doesn't count yeah. <laughs> as like some kind of historical tragedy because mm-hmm. it's like, um, it's not one, a tragedy that's shaped by this colonial view of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess we're kind of already getting into this. Like why, why do these things matter? Um, not just the books we read, like we talk a lot about books, but movies, cartoons, even like, yeah, different characters, pop culture, like all of that, I think has really formative impact, formative and ongoing impact on how we see the world and other people. And we're not like passive, you know, recipients or passive, like, um, it's not a passive thing to engage with like visual media or with um, forms of media and communication. It's like, it's always either going to be like affirm our kind of assumptions Mm -hmm. um, and assumptions around like what is normal or what is default, or it's going to kind of push against those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is also like all those books that we just named. I, I I don't think I really thought about like who, who were the writers, who were the producers, who wrote, like who were the authors, right? Like I think they're mostly white folks. Like Mm -hmm. I never really thought about, and even like who are the, people behind the camera writing the script right are they people of color like you know now I think back I'm like wow because really the, the stories you create the narrative you create a lot of it from your lived experience from your perspective from you know your beliefs all of that is really tied together but I feel like a lot of things that I watched that absorb and that I it plays out in my life how I see myself and see the world around me it's I realize it's, there is this a lot of whiteness <laughs> and which makes sense because if the people be like the writers, the producers um, behind all these things that I see um, are, are from a white experience. It's, it's like both in some way, I felt like it was not relatable, but at the same time, it's like, I want it. It's like maybe that form of escapism or just like, Oh, this is what it means to be part of the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's hard, I guess now I, yeah. So I have come a long way because I really pay attention now to who who's behind, like who are the writers, who are the people making the movies, who mm-hmm. are the producers, like that is so important. And and the representation of that really comes out in the stories. So one of the thoughts actually I think rec- recently I had as we talk about re- representation now actually is, um, which you know, there's a lot of talks, especially about Asian representation in all sorts of media. But interestingly, how come white folks don't talk a lot about representation? Right. Like there's power, I think, in representation and why a lot of people who do talk about representation are people who feel underrepresented. Well, yeah, white folks don't need to because they're represented all the time. All the time. Right. And 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 that's just that's just I think it seems obvious, but it's actually important to point out because there is a reason why. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and that makes me think about, yeah, the power and privilege that comes from representation and, and, and also like. I mean, we'd love to chat about more, like, even when we're represented, some of those stories are very much like a lot of the tropes, right? A lot of the um, stereotypes, negative stereotypes that that perpetuate some of their harmful 
racism we see today. And, and so, yeah, they all tie in together um, around this idea of power and image. I'd like, I just cannot, as we were talking, I can't get the image of like turning red out of <laughs> <Yeah>. my mind. <laughs> Okay, you should tell people more about this movie since we just Have saw you watched it recently. Queen? I've watched it, but maybe for this episode, like we shouldn't give any major no, we no, no, give spoilers. No, no, no spoilers. So we can talk about it more in general. Um, yeah. I don't even really know what I want to say about it. I just like <laughs> know that it made me sob mm-hmm. in a way that, like, I mean, I cry in movies all the time. That's not that's like a very normal thing for me. But like, I was talking with my mom about it, and we were talking about. Um, kind of like the main relationship between the main character and her mom and how, yeah, I I told my mom that I like saw myself in that story Mm -hmm. and I saw like my relationship with her Mm. in that story and how it like made me cry so hard. And my mom was like, was that healing for you? (laughs) Which was like a very touching thing for her to ask me. Um, cause I think a couple years ago, she probably wouldn't have asked me that, mm. but I was like, yeah, it's kind of cathartic to like see, yeah, to be able to like place yourself in a story so powerfully that like something happens inside of you that is healing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. So good. Yeah. Cause I think not all representation is good, right? No. Like, yeah. And, and who kind of controls the narrative? It's really important, like you were mm-hmm. speaking to Trixie, so not in like a token tokenistic or like orientalist way, mm-hmm. um, but like coming from these real experiences. But mm-hmm. I think like when we're able to recognize ourselves in in like a story, if it's like mm-hmm. a movie or a book or like something even like a music video, mm-hmm. um, you know, like there is a really powerful like emotional resonance that generally doesn't happen you know <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I, I've, I won't be able to find the quote now but I feel like I've read a lot about um, I mean I'm thinking more about I think like black theorists and critics who talk about how representation also is like it shouldn't mean it should mean not just one way mm-hmm. right so it's like pushing against the the idea that like all representation has to be positive representation means like it shows the full humanity of people so it mm-hmm. should show it should show villains. It should show imperfect people, right? It should show um, kind of like a full, a fuller way of seeing people that has been communities and like identities that have been previously been only stereotyped or mm-hmm. seen in very two-dimensional ways. So to me, like turning red is like a three-dimensional kind of like human depiction, right? Of like yeah. family, of culture, of it's super messy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very so messy. Complicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I also had like a lot of strong strong feelings seeing that mm-hmm. seeing that movie and not just from the early 2000s nostalgia oh I know yeah. the Tamagotchi <laughs> yeah. yeah and I think part of that connectedness of like seeing yourself is also the scene like the activities and the places that they go right I'm not giving away but you know it's set in Toronto the movie and and it's a very some of the scene, Toronto. it's very clearly Toronto it's so Asian and I say that like they go to temples you know like places that I don't often see movies and, mm-hmm. and it's not just like put there, you know, for just for show, but that's, you know, part of the story and, and that connection to ancestral connection, particularly that was really moving piece for me. 
and 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 the scenes around the table and the food that they eat, so right? That would be the representation. <laughs> so it's not even just in people, but what they do and who they are, like eating dumplings and you know all these dishes that I feel like when I see it, it brings like that sense of like I feel seen, like oh, like I can sit at that table, mm-hmm. right? Like I feel like I can imagine myself in that movie. Yeah, and and the complex themes of intergenerational trauma. Uh, the, the messiness, right, of mm-hmm. all sorts of representation in Asian culture was just so powerful. Mm-hmm. And, like, done in a really funny, entertaining, engaging way. Yeah. Like, it's so <laughs> funny. I, like, went back and forth between literally sobbing <laughs> and laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like, multiple times. It was a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Man. <laughs> yeah. So go see the movie if you haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, super good. Yeah, it's great. And those people who are like, there's always going to be these people that's like, this isn't relatable. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Ugh. because you haven't had to like force yourself into yeah. these boxes where you had to relate to stories that like aren't your own yeah. your whole life. And now it's like hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like, but not sorry. <laughs> it is relatable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It doesn't yeah. even make sense. Like, like it's a silly argument. You need to do your own work. <laughs> and like, even if it's not relatable, it is still entertaining and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, for sure. you know, like it's not, it's not just a write off because mm-hmm. it's not your story yeah. being told. Yeah. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. think part of the relatability on that note that is to everyone is just the range of emotions we all have. And, you know, and especially I think sometimes it's hard, particularly for Asian culture, like to express some of those emotions, right? Mm-hmm. That we get into like the model minority, you know, all these things we've talked about in the past, some of the internalized racism. It's just this inability to like be angry or, you know, um, be loud and be frustrated, like all these emotions like i feel like it's all part of who we are every single human being and and i think in this movie just really that it felt so liberating to see like joy grief anger you know all sorts of emotions being expressed it was just like i think that was a big piece for me too to see an asian character expressing all the emotions mm-hmm. uh, whereas i think a lot of movies or books in the past it's it it can fall into that stereotype um, of that limited experience expressions and emotions for Asian culture or just a lot of focus on shame or guilt Mm -hmm. um, and not speaking up, not being loud, not being messy, you know, always obeying that kind of, yeah, image. Yeah. I saw something on the internet. I have no idea where, but it basically, this person was saying that it's interesting now, like, um, it's almost as if in, in the world of like Pixar and Disney, and like major major movie making it's like the millennials have taken the driver's seat and are making and and are like producing stories where like the adults apologize for like Mm. the things that they messed up on and there's like it must be also very like cathartic and healing to be in the making process of these movies it's almost like, you know, like helping the wounds of your inner child mm-hmm. in a way in like mm-hmm. a, yeah. Anyways, I thought that was really interesting. That's, and that's also like a side of representation, right? Mm-hmm. Like the actual producing, the creating of stories for people. Mm-hmm. Which this movie is written and directed and produced, I think, by um, an Asian woman. Yeah. Chinese Canadian. Yeah. 
And I think she also read that she was promoted actually to like a VP, a very high senior role in Pixar, which is the first time ever they said an Asian woman in such a huge company. Wait, so it, I think for me when I read that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. That is, then she has a lot of say now for future movies that they create, right? That making space and making way for other creative mm-hmm. um, representation across. So I was really proud when I read that. Because also, like, these big companies are like, oh, it'll make us more money. (laughs) We should actually do, like, we should get on board with this because it means more, like, customers. They're not wrong. I know, know, it's true. It's true. Um, Yeah, no, that is, that's exciting. What are some ways that you have seen, I think, Asian representation? Because, again, we're talking about both, like, all sorts of representation. Where are some ways that you think have, you've seen that has been really harmful or negative or tokenistic? Oh, negative ones? <laughs> there's so many. I, I can think of one. <laughs> there are, yeah, there's too many. Maybe yeah. we shouldn't talk about the negative ones. Maybe, much. like, not I, not specifically, but, like, I went through a phase when I was in high school where I read a lot of historical fiction based in ancient China, but written by white people, mm. which, like, I haven't reread any of those things, but I think I could probably go back and be like, oh, my goodness, there's so much like inaccurate Mm -hmm. representation of like the way like specifically Chinese culture Mm -hmm. is and like lots of like threads of Orientalism and yeah, yeah, kind of like a fetishization of like the Asian woman in a lot of these stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We (laughs) haven't named specific example, but I guess some of the, the things I think about is if I watch like action movies, how somehow like the bad guys are always Asians, <laughs> you know, or, or some of the, you know, gangster or mob, or I feel like a lot of that is, you know, what I, I saw, or like in the funny movies, like they're the sidekicks. They're like, you know, they're never really oh, the, yeah. the, the, the central character, you know, they're always like either the butt of the jug or just like, yeah, they just, and they're never fully, di- like fully developed characters no, either. Yeah. So Yeah. Hmm. That always bothered me, I think, when I see those movies. But I couldn't quite name them. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of tropes. Like, they're kind of, you see them in a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. Almost like, it's like you can't even specify because Mm -hmm. we see the tropes in many places, I think. Yeah, I think there are a lot of, a lot of tropes. So many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of, like, yeah, ones that are, that position Asians as, like, exotic in some way, which is maybe why they're cast as villains mm-hmm. in action movies it's like oh this is the something other. that feels other that yeah. feels different than like mm-hmm. the american hero yeah <laughs> which i think plays into the kind of idea of a perpetual like being a perpetual foreigner right like mm-hmm. so all of these like tropes come from these very deep-rooted ideologies that are part of how white supremacy works but they just kind of show up in like seemingly kind of casual ways mm-hmm. um, which is why it's important to notice them and kind of like celebrate when stories that are more complex and that do more justice to an Asian experience. There are many kinds of Asian experiences, but that actually depict that are like so important mm-hmm. um, to kind of uplift. Like even, even when they're not, you know, perfect or like even calling out the problems with those things, but still like being like, Hey, this is part of what's now entering our conversation about like how we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just when you said that, it also makes me think, and there's always, and that's something that's important to acknowledge. There's like such a diverse representation of Asian experience too, right? Because South Asian, East Asian, Southeast Asian, like that's also really important to 
name and recognize. It's not all the same. It's not like oh, we have one Asian character it represents all, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? I think that's something that in the past definitely, um, maybe in those movies, like especially the white directors, right? They would like you know give themselves some credit, like look, we have some Asian representations. Like well, no, this is quite limited, right? So it's more to recognize that too. There's such mm-hmm. a diaspora of experiences. Yep, it's true. And there's like, I mean, I feel like right now we're kind of in a like there's kind of an emergence of Asian media, like in stories and mm-hmm. like visual media that we get to see these again, like not these two dimensional, but very three dimensional, like human and perfect, like mm-hmm. beautiful stories, like that all kind of have, they tie together to like, never have I ever, you know, mm-hmm. that's a form of, yeah. that I think connects well with like turning red. Actually, the main actress is in both. Um, really? Yeah. She plays the um, like very oh. deadpan uh, friend. Oh, hilarious! It's so funny. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she was on it, Priya. She plays. Oh, she plays Priya yeah. in *Unturned Red*. Oh, I love that. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> so there's that movie, or like even, I mean, Marvel has. There are many problems, of course, with Marvel and how huge it is. But like, the the new Miss Marvel that's coming out, mm. it's gonna be yes. like a Desi girl, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like seeing. People like literally as the hero of a story, I think it's like a pretty big game changer for a lot of like Asian and brown girls growing up now. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and it's even even more specifically in that direction. Like it makes me think of Bridgerton. Yes. Two of Bridgerton. Yes. (laughs) And how like not only did they cast like two South Asian main characters, Mm -hmm. but they're like dark skinned South Asian main characters, and so that is also like an extra layer of representation, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like, Bollywood technically has, like, tons of South Asian representation, but, like, they're very... It's a lot of, like, light-skinned actors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, like, when you can physically see yourself... Not me. Cause my <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yes. Like, if you're a dark-skinned South Asian person, being able to see, like, a reflection of yourself physically on the screen um, would be quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the second season. I know, me too. <laughs> but, I mean, this is maybe a whole other episode, too. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, on that point of representation, I think, again, um, it the fact that they cast those two incredible women, you know, it, and it comes out in, like, the costume, like, you know, what they're wearing, the traditions, um, and, and, um, even like some of the word like Didi, I know Didi means like sister, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like those small things are really quite important in mm-hmm. representation, the language, the the clothes they wear, you know, the food they eat, all these is all fully represented when you have a, a diverse representation of Asian in, um, in these movies and shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, yes, even though I'm not South Asian, I just, I feel like I see that and I, I just, I feel seen also. <laughs> like, And that makes me excited. Yeah, and I think it matters that, um, like, someone who's dark-skinned, South Asian, like, can look at, like, you know, a soapy, like, based on kind of romance novel, like, genre-type show mm-hmm. and see themselves just as much as they can see themselves in, like, maybe these more um, complex, you know, serious, serious <laughs> dramas. Um, it's, like, all of it, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, that full experience. And just, like, that also reminds me I haven't seen the second season um, of Bridgerton, but... I think like that brings up too that when people are now making media that in, in involves people of color, it's not always it's in a, a way that is like attentive to how an audience 
that this is like a form that an audience is seeing now. Mm. So there's more like imaginative, creative ways, and I think subversive ways of engaging with that representation and narrative piece um, with like the casting decisions mm -hmm. that are being made. Um, and I think that's a good thing um, mm -hmm. because media is always a political form. It's always a political decision. Yeah. Um, so when people are like upset, you know, that something is like not historically accurate. <laughs> not that Bridgerton <laughs> is a great example of this, you know, but they're like, oh, like that doesn't make sense because in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, like this was, you know, based off of like Europe, the formation of Europe and um, everyone was white. Like, you know, I, I mean, this is, these are real arguments because of the casting of like people of color into mm -hmm. the new Lord of the Rings series. It's like a failure to actually reckon with and think about, yep. like, how is race working and how is white supremacy working in that original text? Mm -hmm. um, and what can we do that actually, like, still adapts the, that text and adapts it into a media form that does a good job and also um, does more, like, yep. is more creative, is more imaginative with yep. it. Um, so there's always resistance and resistance to casting, like, people of color into diverse casting and I'm always mad about the resistance. <laughs> I'm like, come on. <laughs> if you're siding with this old white dude's view of race, like just think about that for <laughs> think about that and, and read up on like some of those things. Before you start yelling at the internet. Preach Celine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get off my chest. So on that note, in terms of like any suggestions and recommendations you would share? Encourage people to watch and see more of these representations. What are some ideas as we yeah. finish up? Well, recently, the three of us also, we watched um, Scarborough, this incredible film. So good. Oh, um, at the Advif, the Vancouver International Film Festival. And it was one of the so best good. movies I've seen maybe ever. Yeah, me yeah. too. Just like, I think it really rocked The attention me. to oh. kind of the tender intricacies of someone's life of various people's lives that mm -hmm. are never seen in, mm -hmm. in film I yeah. think um, or mainstream film was just like devastating and so beautiful mm -hmm. um, and like it does have I mean I don't want to speak too much about the movie but there's various forms of like marginalized people are represented in ways that feel real and that mm -hmm. feel human and mm -hmm. that feel like dignified yeah. and just like yes it's yes. so good yeah <laughs> It's it is wonderful. It's a wonderful film. Yeah, that's powerful storytelling right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then the other film, thinking about like the Asian experience um, and the Asian experience, like that I saw more recently was Everything Everywhere All at Once, with the amazing Michelle Yeoh. Um, it is a, a weirder movie. Like if you're not used to kind of absurdist or like <laughs> speculative um, sci-fi e movies. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting and it's really well done. And I think it has a lot of things to say about some of the things we talked about, about family, about trauma, about feelings, um, about, yeah, all sorts of things. So I'd recommend that one too. Mm -hmm. Maria? Um, I would definitely recommend if you're needing some like queer Asian stuff stories in your life um the half of it it's a film so it's good. like it's so tender and mm -hmm. oh it just yeah it's like being queer and asian in a small town america in and high school yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like a coming of age and it's just oh it's so sweet 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also like really, really kind of like beautiful and quiet storytelling, which mm-hmm. I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a quite a slow movie, and I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to do like kind of one key moment in that film. Again, this doesn't ruin the movie, but I think for me, the tenderness that I can, or not, like the tenderness and, you know, the representation is like, they actually speak in Mandarin, like her and her dad, the main character. Mm-hmm. And even that for me, I'm like, the fact that I can understand this, like, you know, and, and I'm still working on my Mandarin, but for me, that was really, really special. Um, so that's another form of representation of culturally, of language, um, relationships. I think for me, I, I actually been reading a lot. And one of the things I'm really, you know, um, have t- taken notice more the last couple of years is the, the writers, right? The people behind writing the stories um, I like to read and watch and just really making a conscious effort to read a lot of Asian writers. So I actually have a stack of books in my bathroom, which I feel really proud of that display on my <laughs> floating shelf of all the Asian writers. And actually my latest book I just finished yesterday, um, Pachinko, so incredible incredible sweeping novel saga of a Korean and Japanese family um, by Min Jin Young. And this is actually turned into an Apple TV series. So I really want to watch it. Yeah, it's also like, I think for me, so incredible reading these books. Um, And the other one before is like Crying H Mart, which is a beautiful memoir. And I heard that's being turned into a movie too. Um, And another one just on that note of like books that turn into movie because there's the demand for it, right? And um, Little Fires Everywhere, Celeste Ng, um, incredible writer. Um, and she, yeah, she wrote this book and, and it has been a hit, um, TV series with Reese Weatherspoon and Kerry Washington. So for me, it's just so powerful to read this incredible books and then to actually see them come, come into life, like into movies and to TV shows and, and knowing that the people who wrote these books and direct these movies and the writers of it are all Asian and, and BIPOC folks. It's just, yeah, I, I feel just the sense of proud, like pride and just being seen and just this continuous journey of learning. Yeah, so many books. Well, we can, um, in our show notes, also leave some recommend, more yes. recommendations. I, kids like growing up now, I think, are like going to have such a different experience yeah. where they can see themselves, which is exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So different from when we actually even just started this episode talking about what we what we read and saw as a kid to mm-hmm. now. Throw away those books. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to throw them all away. I do have a soft a spot lot of them somebody. though. Yeah, a lot like, of them. Like a away. lot of them need to be. Like Little House on the Prairie. Honestly, anymore. they're not that good. Even like the writing. So like, I would probably get rid of those. Okay, so <laughs> I I have uh, a soft spot for the very first one, okay. Little House in the Big Woods. Yeah, I think that's the one I like, too. I can't really remember. so good. They're just, like, in the woods in Wisconsin, and they, like, <laughs> make a ball out of a pig's bladder, and they, like, do yeah, I did, like, that stuff. Where that stuff like... is great. <laughs> it's just homesteading. Yeah, homesteading stuff, like, D- DIY. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, okay, yeah, I'm into that. But, I mean, we didn't talk about this at all in this episode, but, like, there's also, like, an indigenous res- renaissance, I think, happening now, and resurgence in the sense of, like, there's so many stories now that... Mm-hmm are reshaping how people think about like what does it mean to even live in what we call Canada and like what are all the different perspectives and voices that are present on mm-hmm. these lands and yeah we don't we don't just have those like Little House in the Prairie or Dear Canada books anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> there are other voices that are pushing pushing back yeah mm-hmm. expanding our imagination and representation 
Resetting the Table is edited by Emma Renard. And intro music is by Senya and Paul Gibbs. If you like this podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash resetting the table. We think it's really important to amplify voices of color, and we hope you do too. Even a little bit helps us sustain the podcast. Big thanks to everyone who's already been part of the Patreon community. We love you and we appreciate your support. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash resetting the table or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so others can find the show. You can also find us on Instagram at re.settingthetable. For now, 多谢。谢谢。Thanks, and see you soon.